Isaiah chapter 42. Well, starting from chapter 40, it, it starts the second half of Isaiah, the book of Isaiah. Because the first half uh, ends at, at chapter 39. And chapter 40 is the introduction to the second half of, of Isaiah. And what prophecies are written in the second half? Uh, chapter 40 talks about the, the, the prophecy of Goresh. And Isaiah ultimately is speaking of the coming of the Messiah. And throughout the whole book, Isaiah has been talking about the coming of the Messiah. Even chapter 11, when he talks about the millennial kingdom, he's referring to the coming of Jesus. And also, this prophecy is given to Israel so that they would return, so that they would be restored in God. And even though Israel may be restored through these prophets, through Goresh and through Isaiah, ultimately they have to be restored in Jesus. And just like Ezekiel 38, even though the nation of Israel is, is restored right now, because they, do not, they have not received the Messiah, because they have not seen Jesus, they cannot gain this, this, this true restoration yet. Only when they find Jesus will they be able to meet uh, and encounter that, that, that glory of God. And in that perspective, chapter 42 it's also a prophecy of Goresh and also the prophecy of Jesus. And people like Daniel, even though he's living in the Old Testament, God would have given him, shown him what is to come. And God, in order to, to, to um, convince that king that he is the... the, the mm-hmm, he has been prophesied even to, uh, uh, hundreds of, and thousands of years ago, that's why he first gave these prophecies to those who were uh, living way before the time of, of this prophecy. So today, um, the king, the title for his message is The Humble King Has Come. And King, uh, Cyrus, Cyrus. And during this time, Babylon was going through its second revival economically and in and, and, and power as well. And their fortress was built so big and so grand that you could have 16 horses in, uh, uh, running in a line on the fortress walls. And so Cyrus had no, had no intentions of going to fight against this Babylon who was so strong. But God sent the, his prophet Daniel to go and convince, convince King Cyrus that you are not to be timid, you are not to be small, but rather God has prophesied of your greatness. And with that faith, he was able to go and fight against this great Babylon. And that's why it says that flowers may wither, but the, the, the word of the Lord never fades away. 
So that's how fecal and that's how uh, vain Babylon is. People who know me, a lot of, uh, who knew me back during the beginning of Zoe ministry, a lot of people were afraid of me because if I spoke of somebody's death, they would actually die before us. And also there was a sister that was anorexic and wasn't able to eat for, for like half a year. And a person that hasn't eaten anything for six months cannot you know, eat anything, especially cannot eat bread. But I told her to eat bread in front of us, in front of everybody. And if I did not have faith that God, is, God has healed her, then that would have probably killed her. But as soon as she obeyed, she was able to take in that bread and digest it without any problems. And her anorexia was healed. And up until now, three people have died in front of my eyes. And all of them uh, have spoken of their death before. So when you're in God, if God says he, if God says he's to be put to death, then he will die. And if God says he's to live, then even if he died, he will, he will, he will be brought back to life. So anyways, <clears throat> so we were talking about Babylon. No matter how strong they may be, if God says you're to lose your power, then they will be brought to destruction. Because according to Hebrews chapter 4, our God is the God of power and dynamics. And since our kids are being immersed in, in, in uh, the, the word of the Lord and they're memorizing his word, God cannot help but use them to, to affect and to influence uh, this world in the future. So all they have to do right now is to prepare themselves for that, to be completely immersed in the word of the Lord. Do not forget the book of Hebrews that you have memorized. I heard that you're going to start memorizing Ephesians in the, in the next uh, in the next semester. And according to my faith, I'm sure one of you is going to be able to memorize the whole 66 books of the Bible. And when, I look, when we look at people who have memorized the Bible, it usually takes, a, takes them 15 years. And the reason why it takes them so long is because you have to keep memorizing and try to remember the things that you have memorized before whilst memorizing new Bible verses. And that's why you need to start from a young age. I guess it's too late for the, the youth and the high schoolers. I'm putting my hope in the elementary kids and maybe even the preschoolers. So let's begin. Verse 1. Here's my servant whom I uphold. So the word servant appears very often in the book of Isaiah. But especially in chapter 40 to 42, it, it refers to the servant a lot. So God has called Israel to be his servant. In the previous chapters, or chapter 43, he, the Lord calls Cyrus his, his servant. So who is the servant here then?
And in verse 1, the word serpent is written in the singular tense. And usually when he refers to Israel as a whole and calls him servant, he's, it's written in the plural, plural form. So the servant that, that, that verse 1 is referring to probably refers to Jesus. And uh, the people of Israel do not read chapter 56 of Isaiah because it talks about difficulties and tribulations. And uh, the reason why they do not like that chapter is because they think that the serpent that is written in chapter 56 is, is referring to themselves. But that serpent is also written in, in, in singular form. So that means it refers not to them, but to to Jesus. So it cannot be, mm, it cannot be Israel. So if this uh, servant here was not the Messiah, then it would have nothing to do with us. But since it is referring to the Messiah, uh, this, 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 this context, this text uh, can be applied to us. And if you guys are experiencing any sicknesses at the moment, or you got the flu, then please call our Dr. Yom, and he will get you a shot or give you some medica medication. It's such a blessed thing that we have a hospital in this church. And soon, I am hoping that we will also have um, a dentist come out in the, uh, from within us. And even though I need to check, uh, I need, I need to, to, to go to the dentist, I'm waiting for Chang Song to, to become a dentist because my teeth are a mess right now. But I'm not going to the hospital. I'm not going to the dentist because I'm waiting. I'm waiting for, for a dentist to appear in this church. So you have to acknowledge that this is the Messiah written in verse, verse 1. And whom I uphold refers to how much the Messiah relied on God. And it appears in the back how he's chosen, but we have all received the same nobility and the same glory that has been given to Jesus. But the Messiah does not need to use his nobility, does not need to use the glory that was given to him because he has been given the title as the Messiah. And even though uh, it says that we, we are uh, of the same nature as Jesus, and so we are also heirs, we are also the children of God, we do not call ourselves Christ's because that Christ, that Messiah title is only given to Jesus. But anyways... And all the terminology that is given to Jesus refers to him as a king, Christ, Messiah. It all refers to the king, 
Why is he a king? He is the anointed one. In the Old Testament, when you are to be anointed to become a king, you are anointed three times. First, you are anointed by the prophet. Secondly, the high priest is anointed by a person that has been healed from leprosy. And thirdly, you're anointed by the king. So the, the Messiah that is coming, who is he? Is he the leper? Is he the prophet? No, he is the king. He's the king that is coming to anoint us. It is the title, it is a position that he holds. And the king of kings, the king of kings as well. But he has become my servant. He has become a servant of God. Messiah is, is one who lives according to the things that God has given to him. He is fully dependent, dependent on God. You might think because he is reliant on, on uh, God, you might think that he cannot do anything by himself, but that's not the case either. But the, the triune God, the Trinity, actually relies on each other. And we are as well, we rely, we depend on, on the, the Trinity, the triune God. But we cannot become independent. We are dependent uh, gods. We are not independent gods. And you need to be clear in this relationship that we have with the Trinity. And when you're in this relationship, you become humble. If you're not humble, if you're arrogant, if you're prideful, then that means you have met the Lord in the wrong way. If you have encountered the Lord correctly, then you will, you will be humble. Secondly, you are also very noble. And that's why since you have this nobility within you, you do not acknowledge the world anymore and you're not oppressed and you're not uh, afraid of the world. And let's say I, I failed a business. I lost a lot of money. I failed a lot of people. But if you're in the midst of despair because of that, then that means you're not a believer. Because when you have met the Lord, you do not, you're not accountable for your results, for your actions anymore. And that's why we can be filled with confidence because our, our Heavenly Father takes care of us and is responsible for us. And you might ask, what if something goes wrong? But that is a question spoken by, by the people of the world because they have no certainty, they have no guarantee. And your secret to not limiting your power and authority comes from this, comes from a clear faith that God is responsible for you. After living 25 years, years with me, have you ever seen me being timid, being shy, being concerned about something? Probably never because I have met the Lord correctly. So first of all, if you have met the Lord, you become very humbled. 
Because you know that you cannot do anything without God. You cannot imagine living without the Lord. And secondly, you are filled with the Lord's nobility, just like Jesus. And since you're filled with this nobility, you don't acknowledge the failures of the world. So it's okay if you're not that smart. It's okay if you excel in some areas. It's okay if you're not that good-looking. And it doesn't make sense to call somebody uh, bad, ugly, because that standard also does not come from, from, from God. And we are all beautiful because in this whole universe, there's only one person that looks like you, and that is you. So we are all unique and special. But I guess, I guess you guys are having a hard time receiving uh, this fact. Uh, you have lost all of your confidence while living in Babylon. But nowadays, I don't watch television, but a lot of celebrities look very much alike nowadays. Just look at the K-pop fans. They all look very similar. And people think that that is the standard for beauty, but that's not the case. There's no reason in this world that can cause you to lose your nobility, even if that is money. No matter how smart you are, no matter how intelligent you may be, it is also nothing compared to the nobility that God has given to us. Because even if you're ignorant, even if you're foolish, God is going to give you all the wisdom necessary for you to uphold His ministry. People who have met the Lord correctly have these two characteristics. And if any of these two characteristics are not appearing within you, then that means something is wrong. So you need to repent, you need to uh, uh, be delivered, or do something about it. Before, when I was an associate pastor in a big church, Uh, the other associate pastors, there's like 70 or 80 of them, were all afraid of going before the head pastor. And, but I was never afraid of the head pastor. So I would just go to him and give him gifts and talk to him if I needed. And the people would ask me, how, how can you do that? Are you not afraid of him? And I, said, and I said, how can I be afraid of man? The only person that I fear is God. And that is the sort of confidence that God, that I have been living with, with since, God, uh, since I have met God. And there was once uh, where there was an early morning worship service and the head pastor and some of the other pastors decided to go to play, play soccer. And they told me to come saying that the head pastor told everybody to come. But I said, I cannot go until the, uh, this, this worship is over. But this is very important. Your relationship with the Trinity When you have this relationship with the Trinity, with the Triune God, then these two characteristic characteristics will appear within you.
That's why no matter who you are, what you have done, how much you have achieved, doesn't matter. Because if you have met the Lord correctly, that is, then you two characteristics will surely appear within you. And that is humility and also nobility. How, how, hum, how humble do you have to be? It's to become... so selfless that you are, that it, it becomes impossible for you to do anything by yourself. You become fully reliant on God. And that cannot be achieved uh, in one instance, but it will be achieved after um, you have fellowship with the Lord in a deep way for a long time. My chosen one in whom I delight. So the reason why God is delighted with his servant it is, it is also written in the Gospels. After Jesus was baptized, uh, a dove came from the heavens and came, about, came up, uh, upon Jesus and said, you, you are my son whom I am I'm very pleased with. And the reason why God is pleased with his servant is because he, has, he is his son. Not because of what he said, what he has done, but he is delighted with his son because he is his son, because of his identity, not because of results. And of course, this servant, this son, is also very obedient to God. He's so obedient that he was willing to take upon the cross for himself. So God was delighted enough with his, with his servant being his son. But this, this servant was also an obedient servant. And so God could not help but be pleased but be delighted in, in his servant. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. This is something that I, we have spoken of yesterday. So let's first uh, look at this word chosen. And this word chosen appears both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. In Hebrew is bar. Being chosen means you choose one thing over another. So Jesus is the Son of God. He is a divine being. He has the identity of us, of the Son of God. But he chose to became, become man. So, what did he have to throw away in order to, to do that? He had to, he had to throw away his identity as a divine child of God. And this is not a simple matter. The fact that Jesus came upon this earth wearing the flesh is not a, a simple thing. You can only unravel and interpret this, this sacrifice through the perspective of love. Let's say I'm a king of a nation, but one day I, I, I became a beggar. Then imagine how difficult my life uh, it will become after suddenly becoming a beggar. The difficulty that that, that, that person will go through is probably, uh, probably unimaginable. 
But that's what Jesus did. He gave up that glory, he gave up that nobility to come upon this earth wearing the flesh. Let's say you live let's say you live on the moon for for a year. Then you'll get used to the gravitational pull of the moon. And after getting used to the gravitational pull of, of the moon, once you come back to Earth, you will, you will feel crushed and, and pressed down by the, the, the gravity of Earth because it is so much greater. And this is, even this metaphor is, is uh, incomparable to what Jesus has done for us, for him to give up his glory to come and become one of us. The thing is, he did not throw away his identity as the Son of God. He had still had that identity whilst being a man. Let's say, for example, I am a billionaire, and my son got a, a, a disease, and I could have paid for his surgery and, get, and, and got him to, to beat that, that disease. But let's say, I, I, suddenly, I, I couldn't send that money to, to save my son. Imagine the amount of despair and depression and, <coughs> and powerlessness that I would feel once I saw my son die because I couldn't pay for his, his, his um, surgery. But that's what Jesus had to go through. While, while he was fasting in the wilderness for 40 days, the... The devil came and tempted him, saying, why, why don't, If you are the Son of God, why don't you change the stone to become bread and eat it? I'm sure Jesus uh, felt this anger towards this demon because the first thing that he did after getting resurrected was he changed uh, the stones to bread. Uh, this is not official, so do not, do not quote me on this, on this story. Anyways, he had to go through all this pain and suffering of giving up his power. So it is not a simple matter that he was willing to give up all that power, all that nobility to live without it on this earth. After he was baptized, he was anointed. And he, the, 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 the record of sin of human history was, was imparted into him during that, 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 that impartation. And he was, he was so pure, he was so holy, he was sinless, but he had to get a taste of what this sin, uh, uh, get a taste of the sin. So, for Jesus to wear uh, this flesh and, uh, is not a simple matter. He had to give up uh, all of his power, all of his authority, all of his nobility. Do not think that he just came here to erase our sins. If that was his ultimate goal, just for us to be erased, then he could have just spoken and proclaimed that, 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 that our sins uh, are erased. So this is a huge uh, misconception within the believers. This is an act of love. Because he loved us, because he loves us, he was able to go through all these hardships and difficulties for us. 
Jesus could no longer see his father, see God struggling between his righteousness and his love. If God did not love us as much, then he would have just wiped us from the face of the earth and started from the beginning again. But because he loves us, he could not do that. And Jesus knew of the, the, the love that the Father had for his creation. And that's why he sacrificed himself so that the Lord's justice will be resolved. And that's why we call this the victory of love. Because love was victorious over justice. Without love, it would have been impossible for Jesus to make such a sacrifice. He would have never become, become one of us. If his goal was just for us to be to to be pure of uh, to be uh, separated from sin, then he he would have just spoken those words, saying, "You are righteous." But this is not a legal issue; it's the issue of love. So you need, to, you need to sense something when you, when you think about the sacrifice of Jesus. And that's why none of us can, can, can stay dry when we have received salvation from God, from salvation through Jesus. When you're able to receive His amazing love, you will not be able to keep yourself from, uh, from, from crying. Because we cannot understand why he would go through all that just for me, just for us. And this was not done through the love of man, but through the love of God, agape. This love, the agape love can only be uh, given through God. And that's why in Ephesians, God says, I loved you first. It says God loves us, loved us first. He's willing to t- be responsible for us. <coughs> uh, so Pastor Samuel from Honduras When I speak of this message over there to him, he always points his finger at his wife saying, she loved me first. She told me to get, get married with her, and so she has to be responsible for me, not the other way around. Anybody here have the same story where the wife proposed first? Well, if your wife uh, told you, asked you to, to, to get married with her, then she has to be responsible. Anyways, from the word chosen, also in Revelations, who are the remnant? Remnant are those who are able to believe and, 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 and acknowledge their calling. And since we have received this calling, this, this uh, calling of glory from God, we no longer choose anything else in the world. 
And that's why those who are called will continue to live their lives whilst emptying themselves, letting go of things, casting things away. In Matthew, it says, there are many who are, who are called, but very few who are chosen. It's because even though everybody is called to, be, to, to, to come into this glory, because they're not willing to be clothed in, this clo- in, in the new clothes of glory, they cannot be chosen by God. So today as well, if you're if you able to truly believe in the calling of Jesus, in the calling of glory that God has given to you, then you would, you would live a life of emptying yourself, letting go. If you're still trying very hard, striving towards possessing things, accumulating things, and that is, that is a clear sign, clear evidence that you have not been saved. This is written in the Bible. Because only those who are called and only those who are chosen can receive the glory of God. And God's goal for us is not just to reach heaven, but to reach His glory, to go into His glory. So so the word chosen really expresses the, the, the love of the Lord for us. And this word... It always goes hand in hand with the word predestination. And even though predestination does not appear in the Old Testament, it is a principle that has, it is a promise that God has given to us that I have predestined and I have chosen you to become holy and blameless. And that is His, that is his promise, that is His will. If you're truly a child of God, then He is going to lead you to become holy and blameless in your life on this earth. So the, the faster you're able to uh, do this, the more time you'll be able to spend uh, with the Lord in His glory. Let's move on. He was fully man. Regarding this, I have spoken of many times before, but there's a lot of things that, that has to be talked about. And Jesus mm, is very pleased that he, 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 he was able to bear the flesh. Because while walking on this earth, he fully uh, gave up living as a child of God and lived as a son of man. And he, he learned what it meant to become fully reliant on God. So when he was resurrected, when he, was, when he ascended to heaven, he still wore the flesh. And he's still wearing the flesh right now. And when, we, and when he returns, he's also going to be wearing the flesh. So when you finally meet Jesus on his throne, what image is he going to be? He's going to be just like you. He's going to be a man. Not only does he have the characteristics and the nature of mankind, he also has the full appearance of a man as well. When you're, when you're wearing a glove, what shape is that glove in? 
Is that glove in the shape of your foot? No, your gloves are in the shape of your hands because, because it is formed around the hands. And let's say the Lord's image, His chalam, is, is your hand in this metaphor. And that means your flesh, your body is also uh, is going to become the glove that encases this, this image of God. And it is in the same shape and the same nature of, uh, of uh, your hand. And there are two issues here. First of all, you need to believe that you are, you are unique masterpieces of God because there's nobody else like you in this universe. But because of the standards of Babylon, you always compare yourselves to others. Oh, I'm not as smart as that person. I'm not as beautiful as that, as that person. You keep comparing yourselves and compete against yourselves. And Deacon Tongi here, has, he, has a, he has a belly. The reason why I tell him to go on a diet and to lose that belly is it's not because it looks bad on him, but because it's not healthy. And God is not pleased with all this process. So the best thing for you to do is to, to have self-control to keep your body uh, pure and not put anything that is dangerous in it. But if you start to compare yourselves, then you, you, you will fall into despair. But when you realize that you are one of a kind, that you are unique in this whole universe, then then you, should no, you will no longer start to compare yourselves. Just think about the rarity. You are one of a kind. Uh, and in the Bible, it doesn't really talk about the worth of a man, but it is, I think, measured. It was written once that it's worth 10,000 talent, which would be a couple billion dollars in today's economy. And when you, uh, when, you're, when, you, when you wear your resurrected body, that body is also, is also going to be very similar to your current body, similar to your current experience. But because that is, a, that, is, that is a resurrected body, it will be radiant with light. When you look at, when you look at corpses, when I looked at the corpse of my father, you realize <clears throat> that there... Their appearance is very different from when they were living. Because as soon as you die, so, so when you look at a corpse of, of one who has lived a holy life before the Lord, then you will see that that corpse is different. It is, it is different from their image when they were living because it's preparing for that resurrected body. But anyways, we're talking. We're still talking about the chosen one.
in Timothy chapter 2, it calls Jesus the, our intercessor. And it calls him the, it also refers to him as the son of man. So right now still in heaven, God, Jesus is wearing the flesh and praying for us. So first thing that you have to receive from verse 1 is you have to uh, realize how important this being chosen is, being called by the Lord is. And secondly, we have to acknowledge that uh, only through agape was it possible for Jesus to give up his power, give up his nobility and, and, and wear the flesh to come upon this earth for us. And that's why you cannot help but cry, cry before the Lord because you're awed, because you're touched and you're overwhelmed by uh, the fact that Jesus has done this in order for you to receive salvation. And even if you try to, 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 to nullify those emotions, press it down, you won't be able to do so because that, that act of love is so great and so significant. So if you have lost your tears, then that means you are influenced by the spirit of religion. <clears throat> Especially brothers, if you think men cannot cry, then, but you have to remember that men who cry before the Lord will not cry in the world. During the Israel conference, all the, all the men of this church that attended cried for, for throughout the whole conference. I thought, I thought Jerusalem was going to be flooded by their tears. I'm very thankful for the tears of, of the ladies too, but I'm especially thankful for the, for the tears of, of our brothers. And as the speaker of that conference, I, I was just all, uh, amazed by that, by that scene. Let us continue. I will put my spirit on him. I think this also appears in chapter 48, verse 6. In chapter 51, also talks about the coming of the Messiah. And when the Messiah appears, the Spirit of God is also present in those verses. And this is something we have to understand in the, in the relationship of the Trinity. Why did, why did Jesus have to rely on the Holy Spirit? It's because he was made fully man. In the New Testament, where is it written that Jesus uh, relied on the Holy Spirit? It is written in Philippians. But the reason why he had to rely on the Holy Spirit is because he was, he was a man. Hebrews 2.14 If uh, the, the, the ultimate victory against, against the demons and against death will, will be blown away, will, will, will be null if Jesus committed a single sin. All these promises will be, will, will, will be um, eradicated. And that's why you know, Jesus fully relied on the Holy Spirit on his time on this earth. This is something that the Vatican and the great prostitute has been deceiving the Christian world for the past 2,000 years. They leave Jesus on the throne and call him a God. Do not acknowledge uh, that he was a man. And that's why the truth within this 
The truth system within this church is so important because we acknowledge that Jesus was a man. And in order to meet Jesus, uh, the, the divine Jesus, we need to also be, we need to first meet Jesus, the son of man. We need to meet him as a man first, and, and then we can see uh, his divine side. Because, because he took away the power and authority of, 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 of the devil through his act, through his victory while being a man. And only when you encounter him as a man can you receive that victory, victory as well. So if you have not encountered Jesus as a man, then you cannot meet his divine side as well. It's, very fear, it's a very, very uh, fearful fact. The reason why so many contemporary churches, starting from the 1960s, uh, all these churches have, have lost power have, uh, uh, and have become scattered, is because they don't, they do not understand this, this revelation, because they have not encountered Jesus as as a man. That's why they have not encountered Jesus as at all. And they are only able to minister and enjoy the Lord when the presence of God is upon their congregation. But they have not gone through that time of training with, with the Holy Spirit. And any spiritual gift that they may be able to utilize in, when, when the presence of God is upon them, they won't be able to utilize when that presence is taken away. And that's why so many churches have fallen away. It's because they cannot repent. They do not, uh, they do not go through the task of emptying this, themselves and killing their flesh. And the reason why people of Zoe ministry, they're able to continue to utilize this, their spiritual gifts and continue to enjoy the Lord is because our ultimate goal is to reach glorification, to reach sanctification. And the key to this is to acknowledge that, that the Holy Spirit is a person, that, that the Holy Spirit is not just a tool given to you. And because He is a person, He has emotions. He has likes and dislikes. And when you do something that uh, displeases him, he will tell you about it. And sometimes he's sad for us, sad because of us. So the fact that God has given him his spirit just proves that Jesus was a man. Why was he able to walk on water? How was Jesus able to walk on water? not just think that Jesus was able to do that because he is the son of God but but he was able to do that because he lived with the Holy Spirit for 30 years before that point how was he able to resurrect the dead because he was filled with the Holy Spirit in Luke it says that Jesus lived with the fullness of the Holy Spirit and that means he maintained that fullness for 30 years he constantly had a desire to be filled with the Father. 
And this is uh, tremendous. When you maintain the fullness of the Holy Spirit, you will become this, this uh, amazing being. Because Jesus was fully man, in, he, need, he needed the Holy Spirit in him in order to do all his miracles and, and, and keep himself from sinning. When we call him the, Jesus the Son of Man, we, we, we're referring to how he kept his identity as the Messiah secret until it was time for him to be revealed. So yesterday, Pastor Lee's uh, wife danced while wearing, wearing a raincoat during the Christmas performance. And he's in charge of writing the paper for, 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 this, uh, for this Jesus the Man. That's what his paper is on. And he needs to finish his paper in this year. Anyways, secondly, what does it mean that the Spirit was on him? Secondly, this talks about the dynamic of the triune God. So, th- Throughout Isaiah, uh, the book of Isaiah, Isaiah, the prophet, knew, knew of this, the dynamic of the triune God. He knew of the Trinity. So that's why when the Spirit is on him, it meant Jesus was filled with uh, the Spirit, filled with the Word, and filled with, with, uh, with, with, with the blood. And there is no separation in the kingdom of God. And so if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're filled with Jesus. If you're filled with Jesus, you're filled with the Word of God. So if you say, I'm, I'm familiar with the Holy Spirit, I'm, but I'm not familiar with Jesus yet, then that means you, it is false. It is fake what, you're, what you are holding on to right now. Because all of this is, going, is moving in one trend, is moving in one uh, life. Maybe it's going to take some time for you to, to, to understand uh, this relationship with, with the Trinity. But they can, there cannot be any separation within this, this relationship. In Habakkuk chapter 2, it says, The righteous shall live by faith. And that's why in the New Testament, in the New Testament, now, uh, you need to have the righteousness, faith, and 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 the life and the lifestyle of God. You need to be able to confirm. You need to confirm of, of these three elements in the New Testament within you. So, if any of these three elements are not working properly within you, then that means. To evaluate to see what is wrong because all three elements have to work together righteousness, faith, and life. If you have righteousness, then you will have faith, and you have faith, and you will live according to that faith. And thus, you're living the, uh, the life of the righteous. 
Like I said before, the sacrifice of Jesus has made us into kings from beggars. But, it, but now, he, through the help of the Holy Spirit, He's going to teach us how to live as a royal being. But first, He has resolved that issue of our identity. And all these issues and, and this pros, progress is made within the church. So you have to come to church and to receive these, these, these things from God. So that more and more you, you, you start to live a lifestyle of acknowledging the Lord and living, a, and, and living in a righteous way. The more you come to church, the more your mind will also be cleansed and you will start to live according to uh, the standards of the Holy Spirit. And so I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. So Jesus is the servant of God and not only is he a servant, he is a son of God, but also he's a king. And even though he was birthed in the manger and lived the first half of his life uh, without being recognized as the king, he has received the ultimate victory on the cross when he was uh, crucified. And that's why uh, Jesus came into our time as, as a royal being, as a king. His identity is a king. So the, 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 the word justice here is mishpat in Hebrew. Only after verse 6 uh, does, it, does it use the word zedek, righteousness. But what is mishpat? Mishpat is justice. It is a trial. So the king is coming to, 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 uh, to, ho uh, to, to hold a trial against those who are, uh, to hold a, a trial against what is unrighteous. So this represents the, the, the dominion of the king. And this is why I always, when I speak to the pastors of Zoe Ministry, I say, pastor, you should not pastor your church. You need to allow the Lord to rule over your church. I learned about this uh, as soon as I met the Lord 34 years ago. Many people, I think, have a difficult time accepting this, this principle. And that's why I never once was I worried about the financial stability of this church. And I was never, never worried about spiritual gifts, never worried about wisdom or, or, or intelligence. Why? Because God is in charge of this church. The King of Kings is in charge of this church. And so I can give my life for this, for this sentiment. All I do is, be, is, is let the Lord uh, rule over this church. But let's say when you come to church, you acknowledge that God is your king and you, you enjoy his presence. But when you go to your workplaces or, in your, or in your, when you're in your households, 
you become the king of yourself. And that's why you reject the dominion of the, uh, of the king and you fall all of his presence. But no matter where you are, no matter what you are doing, you need to allow the Lord to work in you, to, to rule over you. Even in your workplaces, you need to let the Lord be in charge of your work as well. And that's what I'm doing. I allow the Lord to work upon me, to work in me at all times. And because I follow after His will, I follow after His guidance, I do not worry about the outcome. I do not worry about what to do and what we don't have. So Jesus coming is not just a, a, a young just another young man coming to Israel, but he came as a royal being. He came, he came as the king of kings. And he has come to become, become the head of the church and to, to rule over the, the world through the church and, through, uh, and with us as well. So from this, you have to realize, oh, I don't have to live for myself. I don't have to be responsible for my business, for my families. And I, have to, I don't have to, to, to tell my kids to do this and to do that. Because God is going to raise them. Raise them. My son, do I, do I rebuke you? Do I tell you what to do? I think the issue is I, 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 I neglect you too much. Occasionally, I would tell them to eat less, but that's about it. I don't even, I don't even tell my associate pastors what to do. Did I tell you to fast? Did I force you to fast? You know, people would call me insane for, for telling pastor, uh, a skinny guy like Pastor Yoon to fast for 40 days. He's a great man, and I respect him for, for obeying the Lord and... and and doing, in doing this fast. And when you do a 21 days fast, you can live off of the fat within your body. But after 21 days, uh, that's when your, your, your body starts to deteriorate because you can no longer rely on the fat that you have built up. And Taesong, he's young, so he should be fine, but the, the other pastors, I'm a little worried. And I'm very, very thankful for them. And I'm also very excited to, to finally get a, get a daughter-in-law from Honduras. And I'm awaiting a daughter-in-law to come from Africa, maybe for David? Is there no other woman like Hannah? If they're like Hannah, it's enough for you, right? Let's move on to verse 2. So God has come to bring justice to nations, which means that He is going to rule over these nations. This is the core of ecclesiology. 
that God has given the authority to rule over creation to the church. You have to believe that God has given you this, this, this authority. This is very important. And when I cast away demons, I'm not doing it by my own spiritual gifts, but I'm, I'm doing it through the authority that has, that has been given to our church. God calls the church, uh, God, God, uh, in the Bible it says that God has bought the church through the price of his blood. So that's how precious he regards the church, his church. So, verse 2. Verse 2 uh, illustrates the image of a, of a conqueror. And when you conquer a nation, you would cry out in victory. But in verse 2, it says, he will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. And the kings and the leaders of this world, when they're appointed, they would, they would, they would spread propaganda. They would, they would uh, uh, do marketing to, sh to, to uh, introduce themselves to the people. But this is, this is the difference between uh, them and, and, and our Lord. He will not shout or cry out. And this is because he is not that type of conqueror. He is a different conqueror than the other con conquerors of, this, of human history. He's different from Alexander. So from this, you will see the Lord's humility. See how humble he is, even though he has come as the king of kings. He's not willing to let the uh, shout. Uh, proclaim it. A bruised reed he will not break means he's going to become a just judge. And the smoldering wick he will not snuff out. And when the candle is almost uh, at its end, you will usually blow it out, but he will not blow out these candles. In faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. It means he's not going to let, let people who seem useless uh, go because he has a desire to save uh, these souls. People who have met the Lord all have this in common, and especially pastors and ministers. You, you need to have a heart for, for the souls of the Lord. If you have lost that, that desire for them, that passion for them, then that means you have been uh, attacked by the spirit of religion. When you have this heart for the other spirits, a heart for the other souls, then that means <clears throat> you are... Uh, filled with the Lord's heart. It means the goodness of God is, is present within you. And what is His goodness? His goodness, his goodness heals uh, the things that are broken. And that's why Jesus said, because God does not cease to work on the Sabbath, I will also work with Him. It's because uh, the, the people are too broken for God to not work and to heal them.
So in faithfulness, he will bring for justice. It's, it's the same context as uh, verse 2, uh, verse 1. That Jesus is willing to come and save those who seem useless, who seem like they're, they're at the end of their wits, who seem like they have nothing else to offer. He's willing to save every one of them. And that is also the same for the church. A church is an assembly of, of, of a lot of different people. No matter who comes to the church, no matter how good you are or how successful you may be, or even how, how defeated you may be, before the love of the Lord, we are all equal. When I was in high school, the top 10 students never, never hung out with, with, uh, with, uh, with the kids that were failing. high school that I attended uh, is a very well-regarded high school in our neighborhood and the students that were that were selected uh, through exams did not play with 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 the other group of kids who were just randomly picked for the school because they knew they come from different worlds and they are different in essence and that's why you, you would not mix with the other other group And this is the world. This is Babylon. And when Babylon comes into church, that this is what happens in the church as well. People form groups. People exclude one another. And we, we, if, they, if that is present within this church, they mean to break all that framework and break those confinements. Because this is who Jesus was. He was truly humble. And he only hung out and, and helped out and eat, ate with the tax collectors, with prostitutes. So after Jesus came upon this earth, the, the, the definition of justice has changed because of him. Holiness is no longer you and I are different. different. I am set apart from you. But through the act and through the love of Jesus, that, that wall has been torn down. So holiness and justice means you love those who are not uh, holy and you, you, you wish for them to be healed as well. The standard for holiness within this church and the other secular churches are also very different. Uh, over there, the associate pastors can never look up to the head pastor because they're afraid of him. But our associate pastors, of course, even make fun of me. So that's the, that is a difference between our standard of holiness. 
So Bruce Reed, he will not break. So because, uh, because he hung out with tax collectors, with, with people that were excluded from society, you might think, oh, maybe Jesus wasn't that great of a king because he only hung out with those who were, are basically losers in that society. But that is not the case. The reason why he hung out with those losers is because of his humility and, and, and because of his passion for these spirits. And when that Jesus is within you, you can be filled with his confidence. You will never be despair. Uh, you will never fall into despair. You will never fall into depression. And, and, and the devil will continue to come and deceive you, thinking, you know, it's very natural for you to, to, to become depressed when this happens to you. But that is a great deception. Nothing in this universe can cause us to be depressed, cause us to fall into despair. Because the King of Kings is within you. So he will not falter or be discouraged. God does not falter and he's not discouraged. He burns like a fire. Nothing in this world can extinguish his, his passion. And also the fire that God has given to you cannot be extinguished in, 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 by anything in this world as, uh, either. Are you able to believe in this? There's no power, there's no authority in this world that can take you away from the, the, the faith of the Lord. And that's why it's so natural for Jesus to, 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 to prophesy for us that there's nothing on this world that can touch you or bring harm to you. This is true. There's no power, no strength that can limit uh, the work of the Lord. Nothing can extinguish His fire. And so, till He establishes justice on earth, because Jesus does not falter, because he's not discouraged, he's able to rule over the earth through his justice. So, the, so can the church be discouraged? Can the church falter when the head of the church is Jesus? No. We cannot be discouraged. We cannot be depressed. So, give me an example of, of depression then. Give me, give me a reason that you're, you're uh, feeling depression at the moment. Because you got, you're not married? What's the matter? You can, you, you're, you can just live with your holy groom. What else? Are there any other reasons that you can be discouraged? You can sing, is it because of your husband? No, it's because of him that you're able to grow spiritually. 
Yeah, there's no, there's no better husband for you. So you have to be, you have to be thankful for him. I still remember the time that he came to Jeju Island because I was there on vacation. He came to me. He came to me. And he started digging holes on the beach because he wanted to get married to, to Sunga. That's how much passion he had for, for Sunga to be married with, because he wanted to get, uh, get married with her. Anyways, resolve all of your uh, despair, resolve all of your discouragement. If Singha is liberated, then all of you are liberated. Let's move on. The church and the, and the world that is under the rule of the Lord is, is very natural for them to, to not falter and not, and not be discouraged. So on the other hand, if you falter, if you're discouraged, if you feel despair, then that means you're not within the kingdom of God. Because His kingdom does not have discouragement. It has no oppression. If somebody tries to oppress you, then you would, be, you would be irritated by them. And you would break through that situation. Let's move on to verse 5. So once again, Isaiah is emphasizing in this prophecy. He's talking about who this God is. This is what the Lord God says, the creator of the heavens who stretches them out. So it's interesting that he says he stretches the, the, the heavens. So the fact that God created the, uh, this universe by stretching it out, it just deproves it the evolutionary uh, evolution theory. It's not made after millions and billions of years, but rather he stretched it in, in one instance and he made this universe. So this is how the kingdom of God works. That is his way. But, the, but the way of the world is you have to build up to something. You need to work hard to gather, to accumulate and to grow. And slowly and slowly you'll reach your goal. But that's not how God works. People who live in the world their mind is constantly filled with what they have not prepared, what they have to do. And they find reasons for their failures. But for us, our reason of failure is because we have, we have lost faith. I have, oh, it's because I haven't trusted in the Lord. It's because I, I wasn't able to believe in Him. Because once you believe, once you have faith, it will be made instantaneously through the act of God. Many people come and, and try to live with me because they want to learn how, how I, have been, I have lived with the Lord. They, they all fell away because of this, this Babylonian standard. They did not know what it meant to live by faith and to see how God works in one instance when you have faith. So it is an issue of faith. If you believe, it will be done. So... God stretching the universe is, is a proclamation of faith. This universe did not expand after billions and billions of years. It was made in one, in one instance. 
just like how when the light goes goes through a prism, the, the individual spec, spectrums of color are separated. That's how God created the universe. He spoke light into the world, and and light was created. But on the other hand, Babylon teaches you to work hard, to strive towards a goal, to to put in effort, put in time and energy to achieve something. And that is the Hellenistic way. But the Hebraic way is, it goes beyond the Hellenistic way. So that's why uh, all the all the messages that I proclaim in this church, because I have preached it through 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 um, uh, the, the anointing of the Lord. You cannot say, Pastor Kim, your sermons are illogical. There's no organization. There's no order. That cannot be the case because these sermons were not made by me. But what faith does to you is faith helps you to, 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 to rely on the Lord, to fully uh, uh, surrender yourself to God. And Lord, the word, let the Lord uh, work in you. That's why we need to follow after the Hebraic uh, style of life and not the Hellenistic way. Look at Zoe ministry. For, for 20 years, uh, we were faced with many uh, disappointments. If 10 people came, 9 people would leave. And when you look at our connections overseas, you will see people being revived and, then thou- and hundreds of pastors coming. But now, now look at how many pastors are left in Korea. There's only 50 churches left in, 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 in Zori ministry. But if I lost hope, if I lost, lost faith before, uh, before the pandemic, then we would have never been able to reach out to Central America, reach out to Africa and, 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 and connect with these souls. So this may be difficult, but it's actually easy. Hebrews 4.20 It says, those who believe will reach the Sabbath rest. It says, once you believe, you will go into the Sabbath rest. There's nothing else that is required. If you believe, you will be led to that, that rest. That is the Hebrew, Hebrew way of life. So that's why it, it, it may be difficult to understand, but it is actually easier than the Hellenistic way of life. Because all, all that all God requires from, from you right now is, is faith, is, is believing in Him. So the reason why you, you die is because you don't have faith. And the reason why you live is because you have faith. This is what... Uh, God stretching them out means. 2,000 years ago, when Jesus came upon this earth, God, Jesus brought the principle of grace upon us. And so we no longer are able, capable of living by ourselves. 
So only those who are willing to live by faith can survive. Only those who are living by grace can, can reach the glory of God. And this, this life of grace is what, it, what, it, what, it, what stretching out uh, means here. Do you think I prepared for the sermon today? I had no time. I had no time to prepare for the sermon today. But I just, uh, I spit out the things that God inspires me to speak of. And if you're trying to, to gather, if you're trying to prepare and, and accumulate things to, to achieve something, then that uh, uh, is a huge issue. And the more you do and achieve by yourself, the more you become arrogant and prideful of your own accomplishments. But when you truly realize that God was in charge, that He is the one that did everything for you, then you would, you would be able to humble yourself before the Lord. In Hebrews 11, it says the whole universe was made by the faith of God. God spoke, let there be light, and light happened. He said, let there be animals on the earth, and animals appeared. It was all spoken into reality, spoken into existence through, through the faith of God. So we all have to reach that Sabbath rest of, of faith. Who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it. Who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. So again, by faith, God just speaks these things into existence. spinsters of this church if you say let, let there be let there uh, be a husband for me then a husband might might appear it's according to your faith there's a missionary in Malaysia that that that, that uh, got married to your husband by saying you shall receive me and that's the sort of faith that, that um, uh, allowed her to get married to this to this other missionary So if you don't know this story, this missionary saw a, a, a person that she really liked, and she was the head missionary of that of that organization. And so she used her authority. She said, "As the head head missionary and as the head minister of this of this organization, I say that you shall receive me. I command that you shall receive me." And he fell in love with her. Anyways, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. This breath is, this, is the breath of life, the living breath that Mrs. Kim has been uh, doing a lot in this church. It's living pushke in, in Greek. And breath itself is ruha. When God first created man, he formed us out of the mud and he breathed his life into us. He breathed his living pushke into us. So, mankind, we're programmed to live by our own thoughts if, you, if we fall away from God. God has breathed His living pushke, His living spirit into us. And if you lose that breath of life, then you, start, you would live uh, by your own thoughts because you become your own master. And when you live by your, your, your thoughts, uh, you will walk on the path of destruction. Mm -hmm. 
And life is Ruha. Uh, it's the Spirit of God. It's given to those who walk on this earth. So Isaiah is, 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 is explaining what God, who God is. He's the God that created us. He's the creator. And starting from verse 6, we see the proclamation of God. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will take hold of your hand. The righteousness here is Zedek. And called you, the, 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 the person receiving this calling is, of course, the Messiah. Like I said before, God had to strike his own son in order to satisfy his, his, his struggle between uh, his love and his justice. And through the act of Jesus, uh, we, are, we are restored with, with the Lord. Our relationship with the Lord is restored. So God satisfied his need for justice through, through his son. And... Through the precious blood of Jesus, we no longer are the target of the wrath of God. But rather, we have been made pure. And, more than, and, and furthermore, we have been made into the temple of God. We have been made into His sanctuary, His, His, His holy of holies. And that's why we are called the new creation being. Once you are saved, you are no longer the, 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 uh, a being of the Old Testament. But rather, you are a being of the New Testament. You are a new creation being. You no longer have to rely on offerings going to the temple, but you yourself have become the temple of God. So the system within mankind is completely different from the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Our way of life, our, our, our system of our body and our system of our spirit is completely different from the Old Testament because we have been made, recreated in God, spiritually, physically. All of our system has been uh, transformed from the Old Testament. So I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. And because of his righteousness, uh, we are given his holiness. Through his righteousness, we have been made holy. And righteousness is a state of being sinless. You have not committed a single sin. And that is possible through the act of Jesus. Jesus acknowledges that we are pure of our sins, that our sins have nothing to do with us anymore. And that's why as long as we meet Jesus, as long as we live with Him, we will be sinless. And that's why you have to look towards Jesus, face Him, meet with Him. I will take hold of your hand and I will keep you. The reason why God is taking hold of our hands uh, taking, hold, uh, taking a hold of the hand of Jesus is not because Jesus is weak. But because, um, but because Jesus came in the flesh and in order to fulfill his, 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 uh, 
prophecy of, of bearing the cross, he needed to be protected through the help of the Holy Spirit and through the help of the Lord to keep himself from sinning. And we as well, if we live with the Holy Spirit, if we live within the dynamic of the triune God, if we live within that dynamic, then God will protect us and keep us from, from, uh, from dangers. So since God has given us His image, He has given us His blood, and He has given us everything necessary for us to live, so uh, it, it would not make sense if He did not protect us as well. And, and that's why Paul was so confident. When you believe in this, you are filled with confidence because you know who is behind you. You are filled with strength. I will take a hold of your hand. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people. So Jesus is opening the door for the old covenant to be made into the new covenant for his people. God did not send his son so that, uh, so that Israel, the Israelites and we will remain in the old covenant. But rather... He has come to abolish the old covenant and to make a new covenant with us and a light for the Gentiles. So Gentiles were hopeless. They were under the rule, under the control of death. But now, th- through His coming, He has become the light of the, light of the world, light for the Gentiles. So even though they were under the rule, we were under the rule of death, uh, Jesus has has saved us from that, that control of death. And so we have been made into the children of God through Jesus. And so that's why we cannot live without Jesus. And we have to be thankful for what he has done for us every day. Verse 7, to open eyes that are blind. Because people were in, this, in the state of wickedness, their eyes were blinded. But now their eyes are open so that they can see the light of the glory. In second, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, we have to see the light that shines from the, the, the face of glory of, of the Lord. So this is not a, 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 an ordinary privilege that has been given to us. Because even the angels, being, being so pure, cannot, cannot withstand the light that shines from the face of God. I didn't talk about this before. But when we're talking about the suffering and, and pain that Jesus had to go through uh, wearing the flesh, He was the King of Kings. He was in charge of the angels of God. But because he became a man, he could only have his, his couple of guardian angels. He was no longer in control of, of the whole army. So in order to fulfill his love for us, he really gave up everything. He even gave up all of his secretaries. He probably had millions of, of guardian angels. But of course, I'm not saying he did not have the the power and authority to to control the angels, but he did not use that power. 
because he gave up all the privilege, all the all the rights, and all the uh, authority that came with being a child, a uh, son of God. You remember the time.